1: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. So we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three 103 text and WhatsApps, also available at 862 103 103. And could today, later on today, could we all be getting a little bit of good news, even though I think at this stage we nearly we nearly know every word that Miho Martin is going to say later on this evening. I don't know if there's going to be many surprises because if you look at the papers today, they are listing all of the papers, they're listing all of the different of restrictions that we're expecting to announce today. Now it is the National Public Health Emergency Team uh, Neffert. It appears now that they've given the green light for what is definitely a major easing of restrictions over the coming weeks. Certainly a much more larger easing of restrictions than I think a lot of people thought Neffert were going to do. I thought Neffert were going to be very cautious about this. I thought it was going to be a very slowly, slowly opening up of uh, the country. But what we're certainly hearing about from a point of view, it is a major easing of restrictions. It is going to include allowing people to travel anywhere throughout the country and that's going to come in from the second week of May. They're expecting it to be from the 10th of May. Now certainly a lot of people were speculating that they the inter-county travel wasn't going to happen until certainly well into June. I don't think anybody was expecting it to happen so early in May. If you are an older person, a grandparent and you're vaccinated, you'll be able to meet up with your grandchildren from the 10th of May. This is one of the new vaccine bonuses that's going to be spoken about uh, later on. Uh, it's also the date being discussed the 10th of May for the reopening of hairdressers and barbers and that has got to be a most welcomed news and I'm assuming for hairdressers and barbers themselves they'll be absolutely thrilled uh, to be back at work. Memphis has said there should be no major easing restrictions though until the 10th of May. At the earliest, they're still a bit concerned about coronavirus cases because they're still being reviewed. So it gives them uh, this weekend all across next week and into the following weekend just to let the numbers settle down a little bit. And then this major easing from Monday week, the 10th of May non-essential retail services could be permitted to resume it'll be click and collect services first but the outdoor retailers the things like your larger garden centres they'll all be allowed to reopen they're saying in early May is that going to be the 10th as well that's something we'll wait to hear today construction work all construction work will also resume on that day and then when we move to later on in May possibly two weeks later around the 24th of May I'm expecting to hear that all non-essential retailers Till then, will then be allowed to open. Your shops will be back up and running and opened. But I'm assuming when they open it'll be the same way as they were before we closed. You'll be wearing your mask going in. You'll be limiting the number of people inside in a shop. You'll be queuing outside if there's too many people inside. But I think people will be more than happy to queue outside just to know that they can get into the shops. Up to 50 people will be permitted to attend religious services. Now only yesterday I, we had texts in from people saying when are we going to be allowed to go back to mass? We had one list was saying while she watches the Mass every week or a couple of times a week on her iPad it is just not the same and somebody desperate to get back into a church so it looks like uh, up to 50 people will be allowed uh, back into Mass. Now they're also saying that that includes weddings uh, but they're saying there will be a strict limit on the number of people who can attend the event outside of the church. So if you're having a wedding mass, you can have 50 people inside in the church. But then when you head back to the hotel for the reception and the meal and the bit of the hooli and the dance, that number is going to remain at 6 people, unless you're having an outside wedding. And if you're having an outside wedding, you can have 15 people attend. So that's going to be a bit tricky if people decide to allow 50 people to come to the church to watch them get married and then say, well, you, you, you and you, you can come with us for the meal. But sorry about the rest of you now. You all have to go home in your finery. So I don't know how that's going to work out for people. The number of people who can attend and meet outdoors is also expected to increase. It's at two households at the moment. That's expected to go to three. households. Hospitality. Now that includes your pubs and your restaurants. They'll be permitted to serve outdoors. Now that's going to be from early June. I'm assuming it will be after the bank holiday weekend. They always seem to sort of hold back on bank holiday weekends for fear that people will go absolutely mad if they open up something at at the start of a bank holiday weekend. So they're just saying early June. So I imagine it's either going to be that week after the bank holiday or maybe as, as what they're doing with the 10th of May it'll be the Monday after the bank holiday weekend in June we'll wait and see will we get dates on that uh, later on uh, today Pubs that don't serve food, they also will be allowed to open and that's certainly a very different change to what we had when we reopened last year. Hotels, B&Bs and guest houses all expected to be allowed to operate again and this again is sometime in, May, and sometime in June, still no date on that. The number of people who can tend a wedding party indoors from June, that will increase to uh, 25 on NEFET's recommendation. And the impact of the easing of restrictions in May, obviously they will be closely mod- before a final decision is made about June. So they're saying this is what we expect will happen in June. But... They're going to wait and see with the reopening and what gets to reopen in May. If there is a major spike in numbers, then we can take it that the June events that we're already talking about will not go ahead. But please God, that won't happen. Please God, everything will be OK in May and then we'll have the further reopening in June. Now, the Cabinet Committee on COVID-19, they uh, will debate neffert's recommendations along with the other advice from the senior civil servants. Then they bring a memo. That memo goes to the full Cabinet and the full Cabinet will meet this afternoon. The government is also expected to announce this new vaccine bonus, which will allow people who have received their first vaccine jab to meet another person who's also received their first shot. Now, It gets a bit complicated here because it depends on which vaccine you have received. Those that have received a Johnson and Johnson vaccine, or those who will, because I don't think no one's got a Johnson and Johnson vaccine uh, yet. Anyway, those who receive Johnson and Johnson, they will be able to meet indoors two weeks after their first. But with Johnson and Johnson, it's a first and an only shot, and two weeks after you get your shot, you are fully vaccinated, so you you can meet away with other people two weeks later. People who've received an AstraZeneca. This is their first jab. They can meet four weeks after their first jab. People who got the Pfizer vaccine, they can meet one week after their second shot. And those who got the Moderna can meet two weeks after their second dose. (laughs) <laughs> it's all a little bit complicated, but listen, let's take the good out of it. It is a vaccine bonus and it does mean that people who are fully vaccinated can meet up with other fully vaccinated people. And I would hope out of that perhaps would come because we know most of the over 70s have been vaccinated at this stage. So when we're talking about a vaccine bonus in the main, we're either talking about those over the age of 70 or those who work in health care. But for those over the age of 70, wouldn't it be lovely if they're all vaccinated that possibly Possibly they could get back to some of their socialising, maybe meeting up in their little clubs, at the knitting clubs, the bridge clubs. Dare I say, could bingo start up again if everyone was you know, if every if everybody going into the bingo hall was vaccinated and they were all seated apart, could that happen? Well, only time will tell. But it does look like the government will be announcing some kind of a vaccination bonus, which includes for those people uh, like the AstraZeneca people who've received their first dose, because you've got to wait three months to get the second dose of AstraZeneca. But all the evidence is there that once somebody with AstraZeneca gets to the three week mark, uh, they're the They're up at about 60% efficacious, which is very high because some normal vaccines, if you've got 50% effectiveness, that's deemed a successful vaccine. So to be at 60% three weeks after you get your first dose, you are pretty safe. So that's going to be a good bonus for people who have received their vaccination. And then back on the hospitality one, Leo Varadkar was speaking yesterday and he has indicated and hinted hinted that the 15-person limit, remember the 15-person limit that was put in place for outdoor dining and the fact that you had to have a €9 substantial meal, both of those will be scrapped when the hospitality sector reopens. Leo Varadkar, he was speaking at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party and he said the distinction between pubs that serve food and the so-called wet pubs, that will be scrapped and they'll all be treated equally. So once they allow for pubs to reopen for outdoor drinks initially, it won't matter whether it's a gastro pub or whether it's a pub that doesn't serve food, they'll all be allowed to serve Now initially it is going to be outdoors which isn't going to suit everybody because you will have some so-called landlocked pubs that don't have beer gardens. Maybe pubs for example that might be on the main street of a town or a village, nowhere outside to put tables and chairs for people to sit down. They're going to find it very hard to serve drinks outside so there will be some pubs that won't be able to reopen until we get to the stage where they're allowing people to go inside uh, to have a drink but good to know the common sense has prevailed around the 9 me, 9 euro substantial meal because there were so many people finding loopholes around that but also the, the 15 getting away with the 15 person limit on outdoor dining i think that is good because what they're what they're what they're saying is it should be linked to the space available at the venue where people are meeting up and that makes much more sense because you can have a huge beer garden for example and it made no sense to say well only 15 people can go can sit out there because that's the, they are the rules and regulations at the moment if you have an area where you can well spread out your tables you should be allowed to have as many people that you can fit in safely and allow you know that people aren't all sitting on top of each other so that's the kind of the outline of what we are expecting later on from Leo Varadkar your thoughts welcomed I'm, I'm assuming most people are happy with the fact that we're going to get a major easing and that we're going to get it earlier kicking in from the 10th of May can we help out Steve one of our listeners who reached out to us via Twitter at C103 Cork. His mum lost her engagement ring last Monday. Now, she lost it either near the lock or in the general Blackpool area of the city. And obviously, his mother is just devastated and so upset to have lost a much-loved piece of jewellery, her engagement ring. If anybody's found it, anybody's spotted it, or if you heard of somebody finding a ring, uh, can you please get in, in touch? And actually, the family have put a reward on offer. For, for a safe return of the engagement ring. And we've put up pictures of the engagement ring at C103 on our Facebook and on our Twitter feeds. So if you're on our Facebook or our Twitter feed today, just keep a look out, just take a look at the ring. But if you hear of anybody who found a ring either in the lock or the Blackpool uh, area on Monday, it was lost. Could you make contact with us, uh, please? And uh, remember yesterday we were talking about Christmas lights being still up and people were talking about there were some Christmas trees still up and some of the local authorities have still got the town's Christmas lights on even though we checked with the council on that. and They say under Level 5 it's not deemed essential to be sending workers out to take down the lights and that's the reason that they are are still in uh, place. Well Alma was on to us to say that she took the opportunity yesterday to write her Christmas cards for this year. She says a couple of weeks early. A couple of weeks early Alma! <laughs> There's somebody all organised for next uh, Christmas. And when when I was looking at Alma's comment coming I was like, God, where would you get Christmas cards? But then I was thinking, I, I always buy, I seem to buy Christmas cards by the bucket load. I don't know why I do it. I always seem to end up with a huge amount of Christmas cards and put them away then for next year. And then when next year comes, I buy more Christmas cards to so get put away for next year. So I suppose if I thought about it and I really was in the form, I could sit down and write my Christmas cards. I just think that is a tad early, but you are more than organised. Uh, Alma thank you uh, for your call 1850-333-103. and I mentioned the easing of restrictions that we're expecting later today, and we are attempting to find out a timeline because already lots of people are saying when when will Miho Martin address the nation? It's normally around the six o'clock mark, even though we have had sometimes where they've done it at four. But the cabinet are meeting this afternoon, so the very fact that the memo from the Cabinet Committee on COVID-19 that goes to the Cabinet and the Cabinet have a further discussion and the fact that they're not meeting till this afternoon I think it probably is going to be around the 6 o'clock mark but we're endeavouring to get on to the Taoiseach's office to find out if they any kind of a timeline. Morris is wondering when will Marts open. I haven't heard Marts mentioned so far. Uh, Morris but if Marts are aligned to all non essential retail, would they be aligned to that? If that's the case, then that's expected to happen later in May. So we'll see if Marts get mentioned. And then I was wondering are people quite excited about it and are they happy with the idea that Neffet has decided to go for a major easing rather than a more graduated easing which is which I think people had thought was going to uh, happen. Uh, somebody says, Morning Patricia, I, I'm wondering two things this morning. Why do the powers that be keep doing the same thing over and over expecting a different outcome? There are still reports of infections and deaths from COVID-19 in this country and of course we have new variants and yes, I accept they are lower but in my opinion not low enough to warrant an easing of restrictions to the, the degree that has been proposed. Yes, we're all fed up. Yes, we all want our freedom back. But come on, do we really want restrictions again? Because once again, we, I feel we are opening up prematurely. And my second question is, why is Leo Varadkar still practising while he's under investigation by the Shikona? People in any other profession will be suspended until an investigation was complete. Why is he any different? And of course, he's Under investigation for the leaking of the documents from the Irish Medical Organization. I'm assuming different rules pertain to uh, a government member, government minister an elected representative. I'm I'm assuming that is the reason. But somebody being suspended would be would that be an individual choice on companies if somebody has been investigated for something? But I'm assuming it's because he is a government minister and in particular a government minister and that the country needs him. 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls.
0: Court Today on C103
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance
2: Now a North Cork councillor has brought forward a motion calling on Cork County Council to request the Social Protection and Rural Development Minister to undertake a study of farmers in relation to their mental health. Councillor Frank Roach joins me to explain why he feels this is so important at this time. Good morning to you, Frank. Good
4: morning, Uh, And you're,
2: you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you feel the mental health of rural people people has been affected more than say those in urban areas, particularly since the pandemic began.
4: Well, I suppose I wouldn't actually say more than people in urban areas, because in fairness, people in northern, urban areas are suffering as well. But like um just twenty five farmers that I personally know or can relate with have committed suicide since the since December twenty twenty, since the first of December. And, um, like, I wouldn't put it all down to COVID because what's happening in our farming communities at the moment, or happening in a few years, uh, is absolutely just, you know, just scandalous. And like, uh, more, I would have spoken to probably 10 or even 12 of the people that have committed suicide and all their issues of farm um, inheritance and legally related. You no, know, um, we have an awful problem in the family community where um, our legal system are actually they're cleaning out the ones that are suffering from this kind of abuse. And like where you have elderly parents and you have in particular men in their 40s and 50s looking after them, not only the farms and their fear and in, in people that I spoke to, this is their biggest problem was that their parents would end up in nursing homes and that there would be massive bill nursing home bills. And that they couldn't, that they'd actually end up losing the land, and that's why the people that that I that I personally knew the committed suicide, that was their, their main worry in life.
2: So, what do you want, Minister Heather Humphreys and her department to do?
4: Well, I want them to to, to put some kind of a um, um, a study in place. No, the um, the I don't want to an of state um, inquiry. I wouldn't know in this. Uh, I want to study in place where they can study what's actually happening with these people.
2: Are you and, saying go out and talk to these people?
4: Well, yes, find somebody. Now, I wouldn't be looking for a state bodies either to be doing the study. Because what I find myself, and why I speak to my fellow councillors and the, the councillors of field, and they're not getting as much of this problem as I'm getting. Now, you wonder why I get here. Well, number one, I was a victim of it myself. <clears throat> and people understand that I know, I don't know, but understand their feelings. And like one man said to me last week, he said, it's like the, the lame, lame leading the lame, that I know what I'm talking about, I understand it. But the other thing that I pinpoint to all my fellow counsellors is when I meet these people, I meet them in my walking clothes, I meet them in a van like they're driving themselves, what people, these people are afraid of is if, if the professionals went out in a new car dressed with a column tie dressed with a suit they're reluctant to talk to them.
2: They'd, because they don't identify with them.
4: When I go into farmers' if a problem I'd sit up in a bed of silage I'd sit up in a tractor beside them and I'd sit down we'd talk about tractors we talk about cows we talk about farming and after half an hour they'd bleed out their problems to me. Mm. And i have that relationship with them. Now if if a professional that didn't understand the situation within in, in a new fleshy care, with a call a suit, they're reluctant to talk to them. And like that's, why I'm, that's why I'm saying we always hear of alone. we hear of the Samaritans, we hear of all these organisations. Any of those people will not go and ring their free phone number. They're afraid to ring it, because they don't, they're ringing the unknown. The other problem is, if they ring it today, and if they ring it tomorrow, or ring it tonight, they're speaking to a different person.
2: So ha- name, but how do, we get, how do we get around that problem, uh, Frank?
4: We have to find people in the, in the community that can, that understand it and that are on their own level.
2: Yeah, that's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do.
4: Well, I'll say, uh, I, I'm personally myself, I, I'm actually thinking of setting up an organisation called You're Not Alone. I have, at this stage, I have at least... There's,
2: there's already, by the way, there's already an organisation called that for domestic violence. But but domestic. but anyway, I know, but you want one for rural... For for, for, for rural, rural folk. So it's not just look, necessarily yes. farmers. It's rural not people. Not just
4: farmers, no, no. Yeah. But, the uh, like, the, the, in the farming cases, it's all about inheritance. Now, I had a, a man this week who rang me. He was disgusted, and uh, he had contacted a solicitor and he spent 12 minutes on the phone and the solicitor's office sent out a letter to his family. But why he rang me was he got the bill
2: fifty euros Oh, well that's that's, that's legal costs. <coughs> that's uh, Frank, we could be here all day on that one. I mean, that's a completely different issue. That's that's legal costs. And I don't know what do if think? the Minister for Rural Affairs is going to be able to address that for you.
4: Well, I'll tell you the thing, the, the problem it needs to be highlighted. Mm. And like the problem is uh, at least three or four of the people that had that got be good to them that have, that have passed on, that was their concern the legal costs and the welfare costs of the parents. Now, I had one man uh, that when he used to ring me, he was 52 and his mother was 84. And his fear always was if the mother went into a nursing home. Now, why he had that fear was she was out to break a bone and she was actually in hospital. And he, while she was in the hospital, he priced nursing homes. And what that meant to me was it's fifteen to eighteen hundred a week for a notion. And when he was talking to the nuttium, he was doing his calculations and he reckoned that over four or five years that he could be up to half a million of a debt on a farm, which would still in his mother's name. Yeah, but under the wage. under the
2: fair deal scheme it wouldn't he uh, he'd still have to pay it back, but he wouldn't be paying that sum of money under under fair deal. But the whole fair deal scheme when it comes to farm land And Farm Inheritance. That still hasn't been sorted out, has yeah, it? It no. no, no. That's no. something that uh, and I remember Jim Daly, when he was the junior minister, we spoke many many times with Jim uh, on that particular, that is something uh, that, does, that, that does need to happen. But in the meantime, when you raised the issue of this uh, particularly the amount of suicides, shocking to hear the amount of suicides uh, and this study, uh, as to how the study can be conducted, I don't know, but you raised it at council level did, did you get much support from your fellow councillors.
4: got absolutely brilliant support for my own counselors councillors. I've even got phone calls from councillors outside of my county since. And uh, in fairness, uh, like Cork County Council, I've gone right into the Minister um, um, Heather Humphreys because um, Helen McEntee as we know is off in maternity leave so it's Heather Humphreys is taking over her job. Now, I'm delighted for that because Heather Humphreys is the Minister for... Um, social protection rule and like community development. Yeah. She's now handling justice as well. So we're getting into those two, um, two uh, offices. Now, I've also st- spoken to the Minister for Health, uh, Mary Butler. And like, so I've held justice social protection and rules
2: you've all the areas covered there yeah yeah, and and you are right when you say you're hearing from out you know other areas this isn't just a Cork problem this is nationwide this is
4: nationwide this week I had a man from from County Westmead who rang me about a suicide Um, like when, when I talk about 25 now the vast majority are in Cork but, like, the, the, there's four or five of them that have been bordering outside, maybe 30 or 40 miles radius of, of county Cork.
2: Yeah, and <coughs> sadly, you know, we're so also losing more than even the official figures because sometimes well, look, a life I, is I, lost I, through suicide and it isn't registered as suicide. It doesn't go down as suicide.
4: Well, look, I, when I'm talking, when I'm talking about 25, I'm talking about people that I can relate with. I know, I know.
2: listen, I'd be interested to hear what you get back from the uh, department. So keep us posted, well, uh, so Frank. I, I
4: already, um, Heather, Humphrey's office have actually rang me and Helen McEntee's office have rang me back and um, Mary Butler's office. Okay. Three of them I'll have actually rang we'll, me
2: back. We'll speak again, Frank. Thank you for that and uh, Thank thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, North Cork Councillor uh, Frank Roach and actually seeing as Frank uh, mentioned Helen McEntee and uh, she had only went out on maternity leave, was it, on Monday and actually I meant to do a piece and I didn't get around to it. I thought because we saw her on the steps of uh, Doll Aaron on her last day at work before she took her six months maternity leave and of course she was making history because she's the first uh, female minister to take maternity leave. We've never had a minister needing to take maternity leave and of course they had to change the rules and the regulations to allow her take maternity leave without resigning from her her position as Minister for uh, Justice and uh, fantastic news that she has given birth to a bouncing uh, baby boy and uh, Michael has been on to say a massive happy congratulations to Helen McEntee and her husband Paul Hickey on the birth of their son they are the proudest and happiest couple on the planet this glorious April morning I'm delighted for them both such a lovely couple forget politics they adore one another says Michael who obviously knows uh, Helen McEntee and her husband Paul so congratulations to the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee on the birth of her baby and do you know what I thought was interesting when she was speaking about going out on maternity leave and she'll be off now for the next uh, six months and somebody said to her you know, do you know what she was blooming in pregnancy Do you know what you're having? And she said, no, that they opted to keep it as a surprise. Uh, And I'm wondering how many couples today actually do that they wait until the baby is born and once upon a time when there wasn't scans that's what the majority of parents had to do they had no choice but to wait until the baby was born to find out is what's the saying is it a boy or a child do you remember that saying used to float around at one stage uh, but whether, whether it was a boy or a girl but now of course with scans people can find out fairly early on in the pregnancy whether they're having a boy or a girl and then there's those gender reveal parties that people have but Helen McEntee and her husband Paul opted not to to be told even though she'd had scans throughout the pregnancy and she said no we said we'd wait until the baby was born and she is now uh, the proud mum of a little baby boy congratulations to her 1850 Uh, John Paul taking your calls Uh, Sean from Waterford says well done to Councillor Frank Roach speaking to you on the programme there are serious issues in relation to what's going on in rural Ireland and many people many lives are being lost to suicide because of uh, not because of depression but because of torment and pressure kind regards that's Sean from Waterford
0: Court Today on C103
3: With Sean Cusack Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie
0: Cork
2: today on C103
0: text or whatsapp patricia with your comment
2: 086-2103-103. new research has shown that irish households are paying some of the highest energy bills in europe despite the country being a leading producer of renewable energy dara cassidy of the switching website bonkers.ie joins me good morning to you dara
0: good morning patricia now
2: on average how much more are we paying compared to the eu average so it's significantly more
5: with electricity in particular so prices here are actually 23 percent above the eu average so it's quite a lot now i know everything in ireland is expensive unfortunately whether it's rent or whether it's food or alcohol so, um, you know, electricity unfortunately is no different. Um, and when you look at what that adds to the yearly bill, um, based on average usage, it mean households pay around two hundred and two euro extra um, each year for their electricity than the EU average. Uh, for gas, though, we're a little bit. In fact, we're a good bit closer. Uh, we are still the eighth most expensive in the EU, though, but prices are far, far closer to the EU average.
2: Why are we paying so much for electricity? Why is it so expensive here?
5: It's a good question. Um, and actually, an interesting point probably to mention as well is that when you actually look at the net price of electricity, we're actually the most expensive. The prices are about 70% more expensive uh, than the EU average. It's only that in Ireland, that we don't, believe it or not, tax electricity that highly compared to other countries. That when you look at the after-tax price, that that we go down to fourth most expensive. So energy here, electricity in particular, is very, very expensive. There's no one reason. A few are given. Firstly, we still, um, despite the fact that we're using far more wind energy, uh, we still generate a lot of our electricity by burning things like coal, peat and gas, which aren't cheap which tend to fluctuate in price, uh, a lot of which needs to be imported. The peat obviously doesn't, but a lot of the gas and the coal does. Uh, so that tends to increase our price. Uh, also as well, we're an island on the edge of the Atlantic, so often there's an extra, you know, a pipe or there's an extra, you know, plane or or, or, or boat journey to get the fuels here, whether it's the coal or whether it's the gas happens across another pipe. And the other point is that you know, wind energy, I think we perceive it as being free, but it actually takes a lot of money to, to invest in the grid and to turn that wind energy and solar energy into electricity that we can use and whilst we might see the benefits of that investment in terms of cheaper prices in maybe a decade or two, at the moment I think we're only really seeing the, the costs unfortunately.
2: Well, but we've the, I know a lot of our listeners get very annoyed about the PSO levy. Yes. Explain that and why we have to pay that.
5: Yeah, so the PSO levy um, has, has been increased in, in recent years and it's just over um, 80 euro a year. That is to pretty much to subsidize wind farms. Um, and to make it profitable for them to produce renewable energy and to, uh, I, I suppose, shield them from severe fluctuations in the price of energy. So at the moment, yeah, it's, in some ways, wind farms are still being supported. Um, the PSO levy is the second highest it's ever been. And, um, and it's there to support wind energy. I suppose the point to reiterate is that, you know, I think, Patricia, we know that uh, green energy is cleaner, we know we have climate change targets I think we all agree that we need to be doing better in terms of making Ireland a, a greener and cleaner economy but the transition isn't necessarily going to be cheap to do that unfortunately
2: Can you ever see the day where we will be producing all of our own energy through renewables?
5: We, I don't think we'll ever be at a stage where, well maybe not in our lifetime, maybe you're looking at maybe like 30, 40, 50 years down the line um, but we should, could get to the stage where you know, most of our energy is being produced by renewable sources. At the moment, around 30 to 40% of our energy is coming from renewable, or 30% of our electricity, rather, is coming from renewable. Um, so that's mainly wind, but also solar as well. We have a target to reach 70% by 2030. Now, whether we'll reach that remains to be seen, and whether we'll get even above that, who knows? But there is, you know, a precedent there. If you look at Iceland, for example, now I know they've been gifted with some natural resources that we don't have in terms of geothermal energy and so on. But they've been investing in renewable energy for over a century and they have really, really cheap electricity. So Iceland, as you know, isn't a cheap country. Mm. Wages there and the the prices of things there are about 10 to 15 percent above Ireland. Iceland almost makes Ireland look cheap but electricity prices in Iceland are actually around 40% below Irish prices so they've really cheap electricity because they've used all of this renewable energy but like I said they've been investing in renewable energy for over a century. We'll
2: we'll eventually get there but it 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 will take some time and with more people working from home especially across the last year I'm assuming we've all seen increases in our home energy bills
5: we have and we've seen this on our site when people pull in their average energy usage we have seen an upkeep and uh, an uptick in, in in average usage Um, you know I, I think now like you said with people working from home with people studying from home um, uh, there's probably a, a kettle being boiled a light on, the heating on almost 24-7 at this stage so it's really impacting on people's bills I think we've saved in lots of other ways you know we've saved on maybe nights out we've saved on not going on holidays but one place we definitely haven't saved is on our energy bills.
2: But as your site ie always proves householders can save money by switching
5: uh, Absolutely I mean w- we're talking about Electricity being the fourth most expensive in the EU. So we pay just over 26 cents on average per kilowatt hour, including all taxes and charges. If someone were to switch today, they could get a price of about maybe 14 cents per kilowatt hour, which would actually mean that you'd have the ninth cheapest electricity in the EU on a par with Latvia. So you can go from having the, more, the fourth most expensive electricity to the ninth cheapest electricity in the EU by, by by making a switch. And based on average usage, you could save between maybe 400 to, 400 to 450 euro a year. So it's not an insignificant amount of money for what really only takes a few minutes work.
2: That's And that's a lot to save. It, it, it really is. And it is quick and it is easy. I think people are starting to wake up to that and to understand that at the start. People were thinking, oh, it's too much of a hassle to do all yeah. this. But probably of all of them, the electricity one is the easiest, isn't it? Because you can do it all online. Absolutely,
5: and it's the same with gas. I mean, you can do the same with gas, and it's great savings to be made on gas as well, but you can do it all online. When I say it is genuinely one of the the quickest and easiest bills to switch, it, it really, really is. And it's because even though there are maybe several different suppliers, Uh, people need to remember that it's only one network. So it's not like if you're maybe switching broadband, even though there's great savings to be made of broadband. I'd recommend that people look at that as well. But sometimes a broadband, because you're moving from one network to another, you may need to give back um, you know, equipment and so on. That's not the case with gas and electricity. No new pipes are being laid down. No yeah. the pylons, the pylons are being put in. There's just the one gas network and there's just the one electricity network. And it's really only their suppliers that that differ. different. So it means that when it goes the switch, it's all managed really, really well. It only takes a few minutes, and um, you don't even need to contact your existing supplier. And um, you just need a few things like your MPRN number for electricity, your GPRN number for gas, and a, and a recent meter reading. And that's it, really. Um, obviously, make sure that you're out of contract as well. Um, otherwise, you could be charged a, a small breakage fee. Um, but, but other than that, you know,
2: it, off it's, you it's go. money
5: to be saved. And, you,
2: and you, you suggest, Dara, don't you, that you do it every year. If, you, if it's a one-year contract, when it's up for renewal, you look to somewhere else. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Um, because usually these deals, these you know, super cheap deals, only last a year, and then usually you get bumped up onto the supplier's standard prices, which can often be maybe twenty, thirty, forty per cent more. Uh, sometimes they might offer retention deals to try and keep you keep you keen, but often these retention deals aren't actually as good as what you would get by switching again to a, to, to a new supplier. And when it comes to gas and electricity, you know, more so than any other utility, uh, your, your, your energy isn't going to look any different. Matter yeah, where, yeah. You know, that kettle isn't going to boil any different. <laughs> that Those clothes aren't going to look any better in the washing machine. You know, it's, it's one utility where really price should be the only factor, you know, um, we are talking again, you know, about broadband. I might be recommending, you know, go with the faster speeds or who has the best TV channels. But when it comes to gas and electricity, really, no one should ever overpay.
2: Okay, and you can find out more, and uh, particularly find out which is the the cheapest electricity for you at the moment. Our gas, our broadband uh, at bonkers.ie. Dara, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining thanks, us. Sir. Good morning, you Bye bye. That is uh, Dara Cassidy of I often smile at some of the comments that come into the programme from listeners who take me to task over mispronouncing something or my diction is wrong on something or I phrase something uh, wrongly. Liz is taking me to task when I was talking about Helen McEntee, our Justice Minister, and how she only went out on mat leave this week and yesterday she gave birth, I said, to a bouncing baby boy. And Liz says, as far as I know, Patricia, newborns don't bounce. So... I have always referred to bouncing baby boys and you know something I'm not taking that one back because I've actually checked it out uh, to see where the, the term bouncing baby boy came from and what does having a bouncing baby be a boy or girl what does it mean and bouncing describes a healthy baby can be a boy or a girl as energetic and confident and the example is she gave birth to a bouncing baby boy which is exactly the phrase that I used and seemingly the term originated from a Thomas Fuller who was an English churchman, historian and writer. And he was writing in a book in 1662, The History of the Worthies of England. And he was talking about a particular place uh, where he said in the book, where this fine bouncing babe, Bonner, was born. So there you go. That's where it comes from. I'm not taking that one back. She did have a bouncing uh, baby boy. OK, let me look at some of the rest of your commentary in Kerry listeners, Patricia, when we're speculating about the leaks that have come out, what's opening and what's not opening, have you heard any dates, possible dates for when gyms and leisure centres are to reopen? As I See, when I heard that hairdressers were opening on the 10th of May, I thought gyms, because gyms had been aligned with personal services, but looking at the leaks so far, uh, particularly the ones that were coming from the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan, it's looking like gyms are down with pubs on the 7th of June. So I assume if gyms are the 7th of June, leisure centres will tie in with that as well. Again, we'll have to wait confirmation uh, till later on today for the Taoiseach to address the uh, nation. Uh, Catherine in Glenmire was on to say Patricia some good news. I was in the Mercy Hospital recently and what great doctors and nurses they treated me so good couldn't do enough. I've never met such caring people. They deserve a gold medal all of them. I was a patient in St Catherine's ward and I want to say a huge thank you to them and that's from Catherine in uh, Glenmire. Hope you're keeping well uh, since your visit to the Mercy Hospital Catherine and thank you for that. Only too glad to give it a mention for you. Now Frank Councillor Frank Roach In the last hour, talking about what's going on with rural people and in particular farming folk and he talking about people that he personally has had contact uh, with and the number of suicide, sad, sad deaths from suicide and he spoke about, not, it's not just to do with the pandemic but he was talking about inheritance rights and people worried about elderly, pa- elderly parents going into nursing homes and how will they afford it and the stress that it is causing it certainly it seems to have hit a nerve with a lot of people. Joe was on to say I know a lot of farmers who would be in their 50s living with their parents and they're living in torment because their parents haven't sorted out the affairs of the farm. Many of these guys due to living at home suffer self-esteem issues. Well done to Councillor Frank Roach for speaking out on what it is a tough and very emotive issue. It's a big, big problem in rural areas and a lot of these men that I know when their parents pass pass on it then is too late for them to marry uh, their life has simply passed them by but they're living with this awful torment while their parents are alive because their parents refuse to go to a solicitor and sort out the you know who's going to inherit what and if there's been one child has remained on the farm one adult son or daughter that's remained on the farm you would assume that they would be getting everything because they've worked all their lives on the farm but that we know God knows we know when it comes to inheritance where there's a will there's a family and Dan making a similar point saying it's a tough subject to discuss middle aged men single living alone many of these dedicated all of their lives to the family farm and life certainly has passed them by they remain on their own and the main reason for this is because they dedicated their lives to looking after their parents and to working the land. They never really considered themselves. It can and does, of course, lead to depression when they're continuously on their own, while their friends are married and busy with their own uh, lives. God, that's it's such a, a sad picture to paint. Uh, isn't it? And I think the pandemic has added to that as well because they are very much on their own in a very isolated rural area. I mean even one of the first texts I did in this morning was from Morris who was saying when are the marts going to reopen because at least when the mart was there the farmers would go along to the mart and they might meet up with other people and socialise with people but that was even taken away from so many older uh, not just older but from so many rural people particularly uh, farmers with the pandemic. And Micah says Patricia land and property has always been a serious thorn for discussion in this country. The way barristers and solicitors treat the farming community I feel is absolutely shocking and it should actually be inquired into. Fees are astronomical and the device I feel is shady at best. Always going in the door of a courthouse. Half of them are correct and the other half are wrong. Older people, especially farmers, are scared out of their wits to approach them. And Councillor Frank Roach is correct. The majority of them don't speak their language. The legalities around every move nowadays is frightening every letter they write is 150 euro plus for two or three lines it's disgraceful and as far as family law is concerned it's a solicitor's paradise thanking you and that's from michael that's that yeah and i know we're talking about farm families but anyone who interacts with with the law society and with solicitors that always talk about the costs that are involved. And I know solicitors and barristers spend many, many years training for their profession, but people are always, it's like a real bugbear with so many people, the costs involved of uh, dealing with the solicitor. And then Mary says, Patricia, I've just listened to your programme and your interview with Councillor Frank Roach and the stress to families that have been caused directly by inheritance and land issues where elderly people die. It is simply unbearable. Solicitors, I feel, target farming families in disputes and that can and does lead to suicide. I am a victim of bullying by my own family. I have in the past considered ending my life because of the torment which this stress has induced. I've been Accused of intimidation of my parents by older siblings and even my mother to benefit my inheritance of the land. My elderly mother was exploited, I feel, by the legal profession and pushed to take court proceedings against me, contrary to my father's wishes. People like me are silenced. Why? Because we're afraid to talk and the legal advice given to us is do not talk to anyone in your family. This isolates us and we feel very alone. The bully then exploits this. It's a relief to hear on your radio show that people like me are not Hello, Thank you to Councillor Frank Roach for highlighting this very, very sad problem in rural Ireland. And That's just signed Mary. God, that's a heartbreaking uh, text. Uh, Mary, uh, I'm hoping the situation is is getting easier for you but please uh, reach out when you uh, feel that there's nowhere else for you to go. There's so many great organisations. I don't know where you're what area you're texting from but there are so many. I mean Pieta House is there Samaritans are there. Reach out if, and, and I understand the legally you're told not to speak to your family is are there friends that you can rely on talking we know how often do we talk about how good it is to talk you know a problem shared is a problem uh, halved ring some of the helplines there's lots of people there who'll just listen to you and at times that's all you need you just need somebody to uh, listen to. But you're not on your own. I think Frank Roach very much highlighting that and certainly by the number of calls we're getting in today on it. It's, it's a huge, huge issue. This whole issue around inheritance and who's going to get the land and I think and who deserves to get the land as well. I mean I have huge sympathy for someone who has remained and has decided to dedicate their life to working the family farm and as some people have pointed out, then go on to care for the elderly parents because everybody else has flown the nest. And that's their, that was their choice. And they went on and had their own lives. And suddenly then on the passing of the parents, it just seems so wrong that somebody can step back into the situation and say, well, I was born into this family, so I deserve uh, my inheritance too. When there's been somebody there who's dedicated their whole life to working the land and, and looking after the elderly parents. So I can, it's just, it's an, it's, a, it's an awful situation. And I don't know, is it just something that's a very Irish situation or is it something that happens in other countries as well when it comes to farm families? It, it really is. It's such a sad, sad situation. Thanks for your text, uh, Mary, 1850 three And someone was on to me earlier and I don't know if I can find them as about uh, when we mentioned Leo Varadkar uh, earlier on. Uh, Jim says, talking to Leo, did I see that he was helping out as a doctor giving vaccines? I'm just wondering how many people would trust Leo. Uh, to give him a vaccine when he's known as Leo the Leak. Would anyone be worried that the vaccine wouldn't end up in your arm, that it might leak all over the place? <laughs> yes, uh, Jim. And there is a report out that the Taunashta, and he is, Jim is right, he is a qualified doctor, he's put in several shifts at a vaccination centre in Dublin over the past month. Leo Varadkar has been spotted administering COVID jabs to patients a couple of times at the Helix in DCU. And the Helix, of course, they're one of the vaccination uh, centres. Now, it's understood that Tarnashtar is not being paid for his role as a vaccinator. And he has taken up the shifts on a voluntary basis before people come out and say he's double jobbing. He's uh, not. The majority of healthcare workers t- taking part in the vaccination uh, campaign have received their vaccines themselves. But it's also understood that Leo Varadkar hasn't received his jab uh, yet. So well done to him. I mean, he's definitely, appears to be doing everything right. And of course, we did mention that back at the start of the first wave of the pandemic. Leo Varadkar re-registered as a doctor at the time in case the HSE needed doctors to call in and he he re-registered. But he's working in the vaccination clinic and he had offered, he said, look, I'm available. And some shifts have come up so he's doing the shifts, but he hasn't, not getting paid for it, and he hasn't, and he would be entitled to receive a vaccination jab. The very fact that he's doing the vaccines, but uh, he's not getting paid, and it hasn't didn't get the dose uh, either. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. C one zero three jobs. General operatives are wanted for the Bantry area, full part-time and summer positions are available. Stock controller is required for a warehouse, that's in Quartertown, while a childcare practitioner is required for full daycare service, that's in Lascarrel, and Mallow Commercials. They're looking for a full-time tester for CVRT on HGVs. Uh, Training will be provided if necessary. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
0: Cork Today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
2: India's coronavirus death toll crossed the 200,000 mark this week as a relentless wave of new cases swamped the hospitals with infection rates soaring in the vast country of over 1.3 billion people. A Cork woman who knows this country well is Maureen Forrest who set up the Hope Foundation for the Street Children of uh, Calcutta and uh, Maureen joins me. Good morning to you Maureen. Good morning Patricia. Great to talk to you. How are you doing by the way? Oh I'm, j- I'm
6: doing okay thanks
2: Patricia. Great, great, great. Now the television scenes I have to say Maureen they're hard to watch. What are you hearing from your people on the ground?
6: Uh, it's heartbreaking and you can actually feel their palpable. Oh, sorrow and sadness and fear of what is happening there at the moment. I mean, everybody that we talk to, there is none of them that doesn't have somebody that's close to them that has passed on. I think it's, oh, you can just imagine, you know, their greatest worry is that if they do get it now and that there will not be enough oxygen to keep them alive. And I suppose for all of us, really, the breath is our life. And... Uh, this is how we are helping them really in our little hospital.
2: Because, you know, in this country we all dread getting COVID-19 and we dread the fact that we may end up in a hospital. But at least we know if, God forbid, we got that unwell, we know there's a hospital bed and there will be oxygen and there will be doctors and nurses to look after us. But to have that sort of torment it's yes. just dre- it's shocking beyond belief. I
6: do not know if they need a hospital that they will actually get a bed, and and that is the huge fear, and that is why there are so many elderly just dying in their houses, and nobody with them, and um, so many sort of decomposed bodies now, as well as becoming a huge problem. You have seen, I'm sure, Patricia, the pyres uh-huh. where they're burning the dead, and you can imagine the pall of black smoke and the smell of sort of burning bodies. Hanging, you know, over a city. What that must even be like, and and and, and to, to live in like that, you know. And uh, all the Indians, different religions, they bury. They have such dignified rituals that they have in the burial of their dead, like ourselves here. But now they can't even do that. They're they're just burning bodies on the streets in the park
2: anywhere. Yeah, they've pop up crematoriums. It's yes. just it's it's yes. it is shocking. Was yes. this wave inevitable due to the huge population of the country more?
6: Well, I think for us we actually thought that this would happen with the first wave because we know what the population is and the, the teeming uh, crowds in the streets and on the slums. And we honestly couldn't believe, you know, that we felt oh this is wonderful. You know, there must be something in their resilience that they are not getting. What we were getting here and what they were getting in other countries, and really, I think they just became everybody became just terribly complacent and went back to life as normal. And little did they think. And I suppose, with a lot of Indians like the Irish expats living all over the world, they started coming back and they've started bringing in these other strains. And it mutated, and I mean, it has mutated apparently three times into three different strains, and it has spread just like wildfires. It's so
2: virulent. They're very contagious strains as well. Yeah, And the healthcare system normally, what is it like in India?
6: The healthcare system in India was always under pressure, Patricia. And um, I mean, I would know, I've been going there, as you know, for almost 30 years. And it was always a, a concern. And I suppose, really, they had very, very good private hospitals for the very wealthy but for the ordinary people, it, the infrastructure was very, very weak. And with an onslaught like this, it's absolutely crumbling. It is, it, it is. And then again, we'll have to say they never expected this to happen. And in normal times, it wouldn't have been quite as, you know, this shouldn't have happened. But it's horrendous now. It just isn't able to, uh, to stand up to the onslaught that it is getting. It just isn't.
2: And in all the years, those nearly 30 years that you've been working in India, have you ever seen... A situation as bad.
6: Not in India. Not I've been in. I've, I've witnessed earthquakes, and I have you know I've been in famines, which have been different again. But uh, not this is on every corner of India. Like it's every street. It's the whole population is being affected by uh, by this. Like there is no nobody's sacred. Everybody is being affected. And I suppose, really, it's the shortage of oxygen. Was is, is the huge fear that that people are waiting and, and trying to get into hospital so that they can breathe. Uh, and uh, it, it's just so many people are dying; they're not even being uh, recognised as dead because, in a lot of situations, people wouldn't be even registered, would have not would not have a birth cert. So, so, so the many, figures, the
2: figures have, are probably not even accurate that no, we're getting. No, yeah. so
6: they they're times more than what they Oh, whoa, my gosh! And I mean, these are some of these poor people uh, have no uh, birth certs. They've come into this world and they'll go out without ever having an identity, without ever actually being recognised as being here. It's the scale of it, Patricia. Yeah. It's, it's just the awful anguish that you feel in their voices and that you, you know, uh, it, 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 it's just shocking. I it's mean, tough. I would love to be there, but obviously... You know, we have no Irish volunteers there at the moment because we have a duty of care to people. There is no guarantee that any of our volunteers could get care, could get the
2: proper care. I no, you can't. You can't. You can't take um, uh, that risk. And no, of course, we, we know they
6: have that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful staff on the ground. Do you? Brilliant. And they are really working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no rest. Going. Yeah, t- talk
2: to me about your own little hospital and what what you're doing within that hospital.
6: Our hospital was strictly for the homeless and for you know the street and slum population. It's the only one of its type really in in in, in Calcutta. Uh, they'd be similar, but not uh, uh, as sort of specialised for uh, the poor as as our little one. It's a it's a forty bed, a forty four bedded hospital which was adequate for our needs. But now the whole hospital has been converted into a COVID hospital. Hence, we are looking, as you can imagine, they are looking for, we've already sourced quite a number of ventilators, BiPAP machines, heart monitors, and uh, obviously the biggest one, um, oxygen. So we're converting the whole hospital into a COVID hospital, and it's full at the moment and as soon as there's a bed empty obviously there's another person in again so so it, it is doing wonderful work i know in the scale of things it to most people it probably seems tiny but to me it's just that one person even that we help to
2: breathe easier. Listen, there's 40 people as we speak being, yes. being looked after and please God all 40 of them will make a full recovery and, and the, the, as you say as soon as they get out of the bed there'll be somebody yes. uh, to get in. It's listen, I'm, I'm the great believer in you light the candle you don't curse the darkness you're, you're, you're doing um, uh, amazing work over there and it is a country really of two halves the very rich and the very poor. 30. Is hunger also now a problem.
6: Hunger will become a problem with lockdown, Patricia, and, and that, that's a, a terrible worry for the people because in the last one, when we had people out on, on, on the field, we were distributing food actually with lockdown because the daily labourers who depend on what they get at the end of every day to keep them alive for the following day were getting nothing. So it meant that the people were starving. And their biggest fear that time, and they used to say to our people when they were out our fear is not COVID. Our fear is hunger and, uh, and hunger for not being able to feed our little children. So, so this is going to, if there's a lockdown again in, the, in Calcutta, which inevitably there must be, but again, there are elections. Politics are always involved in this. With the elections coming up, they haven't, um, they're having elections at the moment, so lockdown hasn't taken place yet. But again, when we have that lockdown, we will be out on the streets giving out food.
2: And I saw, uh, and I mentioned it yesterday, that uh, CUH have launched their own little campaign looking, they're, they're going to hospitals and medical suppliers and healthcare organisations for respiratory equipment uh, for hospitals. But I thought Professor Seamus O'Reilly, uh, the, one of the oncologists at CUH, you know, he made the point that they want to show solidarity with their Indian colleagues. And he was saying that healthcare services in this country would have collapsed back in January without the assistance and the work of the uh, people from India who work in our health system, yes.
6: and I mean they are the best doctors and nurses in the world. And again, as we are so fortunate to have the team, uh, uh, equally good team in our little hospital, and and these are very special people because they are working with the poorest of the poor. And sometimes they could work in the larger private hospitals and get far more more, more money, but they are so dedicated. They are really just absolutely. Absolutely, like our front line here. They are, there they are the front line. They are now doing exactly the same, but they're very short
2: staffed. That, that's what I worry about. Yeah, and you worry about burnout and yeah, and, yeah. and exhaust And 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 Indian people, Maureen they always come across as such a gentle race.
6: Yes, yes, they are. They're the, well. I, I kind of feel. I know that. Yeah. I know so many. They're my colleagues. They're my friends. I know. And we had the terrible tragedy last October when our Anna. And it was heartbreaking when our, um, our director, our, our precious director, Geeta, she was only 50 and she died of COVID. And she had so much. She was such a wonderful, wonderful lady and had so much left to give. And uh, she was tragically taken from us. So uh, we've all been touched by I
2: know, it. I know, I yeah. know. And India, it's the, it, I didn't realise this, but they're the biggest producers of vaccines.
6: Yes they are yeah yeah. there's farmers pharmaceutical uh, factories all over India and they were doing very well but then they started exporting
2: Yeah uh, using it for commerce I know they didn't do what the Americans did and kept it for their own people which they they, they, they should have done they really should have done OK and then fundraising in from your point of view I mean every charity has been affected by fundraising because of the pandemic in, in this country how are you managing with fundraising? Well
6: you know, we have a real loyal cohort of people that really have just seen that we were in trouble and really came forward and supported us. Uh, it hasn't been easy, as you can imagine, but, but we have been okay. We were able to honour all our commitments to our the projects that we have there. And we were also, we, we were on the lately, uh, we were, in, Jeremy Arnes was on for us, and that raised quite a substantial Great. amount. So. So, there were little miracles along the way. <laughs>
2: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. But people can still donate to you. Oh, please. Yeah.
6: Please, please, if they would. And, and I, you know, I can never thank them enough, thank the Irish people enough. I mean, it's overwhelming what they do for Australia. Really.
2: Overwhelming. Okay, and your website is?
6: Uh,
2: HopeFoundation.ie HopeFoundation.ie Okay, listen, you look after yourself and stay safe, Maureen. I've been talking to you for a long time. Uh, Indeed we haven't. We were long (laughs) overdue with chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Stay safe. Thank you, Patricia. Stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The wonderful uh, Maureen Forrest who uh, initially set up that Hope Foundation uh, for the Hospital for the Three Children back in 1999. It's hard to believe it was that uh, long ago. uh, But painting a very bleak, bleak picture of what's going on it within um India and if you've seen any of the I, I, I'm in tears every night uh, watching some of the scenes that are coming out of India and just so thankful that we might have given out about lockdowns in this country but my God when you see people gasping for air and literally can't get a hospital bed and even to get into a hospital bed no oxygen just the thought of it that we will never see a day like that in this country so our thoughts very much with the good people of uh, India. This week's the Fire we're going to Fomoy the Station where I'm joined by Simon. Sar- John Kelly. Uh, good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you are welcome to the programme. And me. you are starting with a house broken into.
7: Yeah, uh, Yes, Patricia, a house broken into there. Um, just the other night, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, early morning, Wednesday, um, there in Buttervent. Um, it would look like uh, the house was broken into specifically for one item, the the keys of a high-powered car, which was taken in the driveway. We have seen this before, where where gangs that are um, crime gangs, that they will target a house specifically to get the keys of a high-powered car. So this is what was taken in this this particular case. Um, A high-powered golf, which was in in the driveway, was taken. Um, So, you know, it's just to say that, I suppose... You know, cars like cars like that, um, or any any car, um, just make sure that you bring the the keys into the into, into the kitchen at night. You know.
2: Uh, yeah, and I know we've we've had cases of the keys being fished out through the letterbox because Correct. a lot of people just put it on a hall table as they walk in the door. So that's a no-no. Do you suggest hiding the keys at night? I
7: would say taking the keys at night. You know, uh, put them
2: away safe somewhere. Just,
7: just put them away safe now a lot of cars at this stage are on a card as well so just to make sure that uh, um, they try to operate a kind of a clone card system that they will try and grab the information off the key off the, with, a, with a kind of a transmitter that they, they hold up to the door of the house we have seen that in the past and i've advised on that so if if it is a card you should have what they call a faraday box which is basically a box that uh, uh it's kind of a lead line box that you can put the card into that the information cannot be l- literally grabbed by a receiver from outside the door.
2: Okay, and has that car been located yet? Uh,
7: not as no. far as I know. No. Not as far as I know. Okay,
2: now you want to highlight a case of fraud that happened only yesterday in Carrick Yes, and just
7: to give you, uh, I, I suppose, the, the listeners, you know, an idea of how, how it works again, uh, the injured party in this particular case, uh, about quarter past ten yesterday morning, received uh, a call from a female. Now, the female uh, basically alleged that she was working with Revenue and that she was part of a crime case and she requested the injured party to confirm her PPS number. Now, the injured party gave the last four digits and the letter of her PPS number and also provided the caller uh, with her air code and her email address. Now, following the call, there was another telephone call, this time a male caller, who again alleged... That he was an officer with the revenue. This mail requested her to transfer from her bank account to a government account within a 45-minute period. You know, trying to increase the pressure, I uh, say, on the in, on the injured party. So, thankfully, she queried this request. He got angry and he hung up. Now, thankfully, uh, no fraud has occurred. Her bank, or she's frozen her cards, and um, uh, she deleted her email account. You know, but. Um, so we try to make people, as they are aware of it. And I suppose the main thing to emphasize, you know, we see a disturbing increase the whole time, you know, in it, uh, in, in the amount of fraud that's happening. And Just to give you an idea, provisional figures show that this type of fraud, it has increased fivefold. For the first 20 days of April 2021 compared to April 2019. You know, and we've recently highlighted scams, say, on this program and in other parts of the media where uh, people are pretending to be on from, from a Scottish at the social welfare, the Attorney General's office, banks, delivery companies and other businesses, you know, and it's it's a recurring thing. And like while the scammers, you know, they change their stories or methods, their goal is always the same. It's information. They want to access your sensitive information and get, you know, their hands on on money. Um so we'd like to emphasize that never to give out your information, be it over the phone, text or email. And we're in an era now where information it's like coffee or tea. It's a tradable commodity. You know, information is money. Yeah. You know, And whether it's your PPS number, your bank account number, uh, you know, for people to be very, very cautious of giving of giving anything. Don't engage. Don't return the call. Hang up. Um, make sure you never give away your PPS number, right? And we saw it in a recent uh, fraud case there in Cork, uh, whereby... Um, there was a couple of people that were convicted and it turns out uh, some of the PPS numbers maybe had been harvested uh, over over a number of years from people who were in uh, very bad situations. Um, so ensure that banking details, personal PIN numbers, you know, make sure you don't give them out you know some people even keep the the referee whistle by the phone if they get one of those calls <laughs> um, you know
2: yeah. and it you works it will blow the ears, ears off somebody so yeah. you never give any kind of information like that out like nothing, nothing like and
4: that.
7: If, if
2: if somebody rings you looking for it, looking to claiming to be from whoever you know, don't engage, and then find the legitimate number for that. Be it the Garda, the Revenue right. Commissioners, the bank, whoever they're claiming that they are, and then ring on the number that you know is genuine,
7: independently verified. Yeah, independently just double check that. You look up the number. You do not download any app. Uh, you do not follow any link. Co- uh, you know that's contained in an email. You know, and we need everyone on board at this stage to spread the word. People of all ages, all walks of life, are falling victim. You know to those types of types of frauds. And, you know, for people even to be aware, I mean, recently we've come in across another one. They, they're, the calls are coming in on three numbers. You know, we've even had one recently, um, a phone call from a number similar to the Garda Confidential Line.
4: Wow.
7: Right? So that came in, I, I suppose you've seen it on all patrol cars, one 800 666 is the Garda Confidential Line. But that's a one-way system. That's a system that does, does not ring back you know um it's 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 one way it's like a lobster pot the the phone call goes in but nothing comes back from that number now in the scam call uh it 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 came from uh 0180066631 you know yeah. so
2: look there will be it was like the other day somebody contacted us from about a call that they said they got from the Mallow area that they knew was a scam call and when I was looking at it there was an extra digit on on so yeah, an next Tunisia yeah it's the Tunisia one yeah. but it looked like when you look at it very quickly it looked like an 022 number it looked like a Mallow number except Mallow numbers have five digits this had six and Katrina by text uh, says Patricia just to let you listeners know I just received a call from 353 2230. It looks like numbers, it's numbers three numbers automated voice mail looking for my PPS number obviously yes. I immediately blocked the number rang the Department of Social Protection they've said they've got quite a few calls from people and many have been caught out by giving bank details they say that they would never look for your bank de- details correct. be careful uh, says Katrina so that's, that, that's a number and I mean it looks like it's a genuine 083 number
7: correct it is, it is, it would appear to be an OA3 number, and it's coming in. There's a various couple of numbers coming in. Um, look, the golden rule do not engage.
4: Yeah.
7: Somebody contacts you out of the blue looking for any personal information. You it's plain, simple. You know, don't call them back. Don't click links. Don't download apps. But I mean, when you see it has gone up fivefold since 2019, we recently looked through even our own figures there from uh, October of last year, and we can see there's a you know there's a very very sizable increase in fraud you know and people are being caught out and we find uh it's not all uh people in our own age group that are being caught out we regularly see young people being caught out you know Mm. so you know for people emphasize do not disclose information you know
2: and report people get very embarrassed when they realize that they've been scammed but you need to report it as well
7: Need to report otherwise we won't know to you know figures, figure yeah. what's happening and okay. yeah you, you know as I say those scams are going to appear and keep reappearing in different uh types, you know, and for people just to see, it's just a variation of something else, you know. Yeah,
2: they're, they're, they're clever. These people are clever at what they do. It's,
7: it's like at this stage that there's a, call, you know, there's a couple of call centres out there and literally that's what they're doing all the yeah. time, you know. Okay. Um, now, we're I,
2: heading into the bank holiday weekend. You want everybody to stay safe this weekend absolutely. on the roads. People
7: are People are going to take the opportunity to drive. We know that. You know, the 5k doesn't uh, apply it's any gone. longer. Uh, you know, you can travel your own county 20 miles into the next county, but the there's like, uh, an increase, a big increase the whole time in one in 10 motorists uh, admit to regularly texting, texting while driving. I saw it myself yesterday. There were two, uh, two traffic lights, you know. Uh, I, I, I didn't in the end know whether the driver in front of me it was a particular shade of green he was looking for or what. But I had to, had to blow him because it was quite obvious he must have been texting. Uh, you know, and it seems to be regular. You know, and I mean, the research shows that four people are four times more likely to crash if they're using a handheld phone while driving. You know, texting, so- social media. Look, you know, the urgent message can wait. You know, if 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 you have to pull in to make a very urgent call, you pull in. You know, but you certainly don't use it you use it while you're driving. You know, and even. I mean, if you take your eyes off the road for just one second, a car moving at 50 kilometres an hour will travel 14 metres, so that's approximately four car lengths, you know. So, people have to be aware of that, and, I mean, we gave something like 24,000 fixed charge notices last year for people who are driving, uh, for using a mobile phone while driving, you know. And uh, um, we are, my colleagues in the roads policing unit, are going to be out in strength, you know, over the weekend. And remember, fixed charge notice, it's uh, 60 euros, three penalty points, and uh, if you accumulate 12 penalty points, well, you know, you're off, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's, um, so for people to be very, very uh, aware of that, and if you are uh, going, as I say, any any distance at all, do look, take a break, you know, I mean, if people are deciding, yeah, we're going to travel Cork County, it's a big county, you know, it's nearly from, from here to Dublin, if you started all back to, back to alleys, look, Take a break, you know. Yeah. Uh, stop, have a coffee or whatever, you know. Okay. Um, but just be very, very Enjoy, enjoy
2: the weekend, but enjoy. just all come home safe. That's, and remember to social lesson.
7: distancing uh, restrictions as well. Okay.
2: All right, listen, John, thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining so us on the programme. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly, who is based at uh, Fomoy the Station.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
2: the Taoiseach's address to the nation. It's been confirmed. The Taoiseach will begin his speech about the reopening of Irish society from the steps of government building at 6pm tonight. So just in time for the 6 o'clock news. Okay, so so people are anxious to know what time. In fairness to, to... Michal Martin, since he's taken over his theater, because it always seems to be about six o'clock that he does it. He kind of, we kind of, they start the news with it. And Virgin Media, who have their news at half five, they'll stay on and take it as well. So six o'clock this evening, even though let's wait and see. Will there be any surprises, or have we heard everything that he is about to announce? There are already some calls, still getting calls in about it. Mary says, Patricia, do you know when the 25 guests will be allowed to attend a wedding? The reason I'm asking. Is I'm supposed to be going to a wedding on the fifth of June. Do you know if it's going to be before or after that date? Says Mary. Have you the hat bought and all ready to go? At uh, Mary. OK, it's the, the wedding ones uh, it's, is a little bit interesting. It says from the 10th of May, up to 50 people will be allowed to attend religious ceremonies. And that's the masses that a lot of people have been looking for. But that does include weddings and funerals as well as masses. But that's just attending the church part of it when... You leave the church after the wedding and heading off to the reception and the, bit, the wedding breakfast, as it used to be called once upon a, a time. That number remains capped at six guests and 15 for outdoor celebrations. But the restrictions are going to be eased through June and July. Now, if you're looking for an actual date, my thinking on it would be June the 7th. Because June the 7th is the date that we've been given for all the pubs been allowed to reopen. So do we take it from June the 7th that 25 people will be allowed to attend a wedding indoors? And the other date you could look at them is June the 2nd, because June the 2nd is speculated is the, the day for hotels, guest houses and B&Bs to reopen. So if the hotel is reopened On the 2nd of June, will they also be allowing 25 people to attend an indoor wedding? Because the number goes to 25 in June and then it's expected to be eased further during June and July. But we don't have set dates on it now. Will we get that much detail Um, out of uh, Micheál Martin later on today? I don't know. So your guess is as good. (laughs) It's between, I would say it's between the 2nd and the 7th which isn't of much use to you when you're, you're, the date of your wedding is slap in the middle on the 5th. So if they go with the hotels and the guest houses, the me and bees, you're OK. But if the hold off is that the number increasing from 6 to 25 is the June the 7th, then it looks like you'll be able to go if it's happening in a church, you'll be able to go to the church side, but you won't be able to go unless you are one of the six along with the bride and groom. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Hi, Patricia. Just to say I had my jab yesterday, today in City Hall extremely well, well rum stewards everywhere to tell you where to go I must say the nurse Siobhan in cubicle 8 put me right at ease and was so so nice I was in and out in no time at all in total it took from being dropped off to exiting 32 minutes no symptoms today and well done by the way says this texture to Leo for participating in the vaccination programme and giving up of his time to be a vaccinator at the Helix in uh, Dublin and well done good to hear that you had absolutely no after effects and no symptoms today. And actually yesterday when I was going through the list of uh, side effects, I don't know if I emphasise that or not, there are some people like this texter who will go and get their jab and have none of the side effects at all. And then others, and the side effects that we're talking about, they're all very mild and they last a day or two and that's it. And I know it with Marsha, my own daughter, bless her heart, she was miserable for about a day and a half, I think, maybe two days, she might have milked the second half of the second day because she's a great patient and she, she loves the being pampered to death when she's, uh, when she's not well. So she might have been milking it slightly the second half of the second day, but she certainly was very unwell the first day, with just with a high temperature. And, and, you know, when you've got a high temperature, you just feel uh, so unwell. Other people are saying, I think when we went through the list of mild side effects. A headache seems to be one of the more common ones but there are lots of people like our texter who will get the jab and get no effects at all. It does appear to be for whatever reason younger people seem to be more affected by the side effects than older people and sure isn't it the same with the clotting as well. The clotting is more with younger people than with uh, older people but good to know that you had your vaccination in City Hall and I know we mentioned yesterday that the, the, they started, the vaccination centre started in Bantry yesterday. I don't know if anybody got an appointment for Bantry yesterday Yesterday. it was the first day for the west cork vaccination center and today is the first day for vaccinating the sixty to sixty nine year olds in mallow at the at the gaa Hall in Mallow. is today but yesterday was Bantry Primary Care Centre. It was the first day for West Cork and it's Hilty from next Monday. So hopefully people are getting on well in the county vaccination centres as well. But thank you for your uh, text. And Michael says, uh, Patricia, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Listening to your chat about India with Maureen in far so so difficult and just so sad. I met some fantastic Indian nurses when my late mother was in Haven Bay Care centre that's in Kinsale. They were just wonderful, kind, caring people. And as you say, the scenes are just beyond horrendous. I think it really should give those who are denying the existence of COVID a bit of a wake-up call and the need to protect ourselves and each other. It's paramount. The people of India in my thoughts and prayers, says uh, Michael yeah. Well and I think for a lot of us that's how we feel about uh, the people of India and just thanking God that and hoping that we would never get a wave that would hit our country like that. But you're right, at least we've started vaccinations and the, with the rollout. Out of the vaccination and even though we'll have easing of restrictions let's just hope people don't go absolutely mad because we do not we absolutely do not want a, a fourth wave but uh, good to hear you talk about uh, nurses who came from India and I thought that was lovely that's why CUH have decided because they have so many Indian colleagues working in, in CUH and they were saying that you know they would not have coped back in January when we were in our third wave and when things got really, really fraught at our hospital. And it was like the colleagues from India who've been working in this country who worked so hard uh, to keep everything going. So it's good to see them showing a bit of solidarity and organising that collection of ventilators and other respiratory equipment uh, for them. I think it's a very kind, kind uh, act. Okay, now we're also getting a number of calls in uh, following on from our interview with Frank Roach earlier today, who was talking about the number of suicides that he's personally been aware of, of people who are struggling in rural areas, struggling through the pandemic, but not even to do with the pandemic, struggling because of inheritance problems and people who have single men in the main was what Frank, but there's probably women as well. And we know there's women well involved, dedicated their lives to the land and looking after elderly parents and feeling very, very isolated. And probably the pandemic highlighted that isolation. But it's led to a lot of people contacting us around the whole area of inheritance and who's entitled to what. And what happens when much loved parents die and the will is opened and the will is read and the kind of consternation that it can cause. And, you know, i be aware, this is not, while it seems to be particularly bad in rural areas when it comes to land and workable farms, it seems to be a huge issue. But problems with inheritance goes on everywhere, even if it's a, a little semi D house or a little terraced house, you know, where people, I don't know whether it's, is it greed Sometimes you think maybe it is a bereavement when somebody loses a much loved parent and then the will gets read and they get upset about it. And then you've got people who think that other family members have manipulated the older person into making sure that the will favoured one over the other. But it just causes so much anguish and it can split families. I mean, there are families because of a will and because A parent who believed they were doing the right thing got it wrong when they did the will and families have been divided because of it and families ended up never speaking again, which is just utterly shocking. Kate was on to say, when my mother and father died, solicitors got on board. What Councillor Frank Roach spoke about today is so spot on. The mental stress that it caused. I could totally understand and identify with everything that he said on your programme this morning. There are so many disputes when it comes to land in this country and it's causing distress to so, so uh, many. And uh, John Paul said he's had a lot of similar calls in from people just really, really upset. People saying that they've contemplated taking their own lives and the number of people are saying that what we need is, when we were trying to tease out with Frank today as to what's needed I know he's got on to Minister Heather Humphrey to try and do some kind of a study just to try to work out just how bad the situation is, and hopefully, out of a study, we come up with some solutions. But a couple of people are saying because we spoke about this great helplines out there, you know, like the likes of Samaritans, uh, the likes of Pieta House. I mean, re- there are some really good uh, helplines, but a couple of people are saying that what we need is a dedicated helpline just to deal with land disputes and inheritance disputes where people could speak with somebody who might have an idea or an understanding of what they are uh, talking about uh, John Paul said it just had a lot of calls from people really really upset on the phone lines uh, today and uh, mags by text says hi Trish it's uh, very sad about inheritance and the unfairness that's around inheritance in siblings being left in limbo about inheritance. When parents are young and healthy, it's then they should divide equally for their children. As if they die and they haven't sorted things out properly, it can cause permanent friction and even death over fights. Think when you have kids, everything has to be divided equally. Mag says only fair. It stops the hatred and the fighting if everything is divided equally. And yeah, I don't know if I absolutely agree with you on that, Mags, about everything being divided equally. I mean, I go back again to the suggestion that I made earlier of someone who a family member, one son, one daughter remaining on a farm and farming the land and looking and then going on to look after elderly parents where, say, other siblings left sort of. Got to eighteen, maybe went on to college, and then went off and went about their own lives. What they're quite entitled to do, and they formed their own lives, their own relationships, their families, etc. Is it fair that the person that was who left, who farmed the land all of their lives, is is it is it right that everything should be divided equally? when the other family members didn't farm the land I, I don't know maybe maybe i'm seeing seeing it too in in too simplistic a way but it just it just doesn't sit well with me but i know the point you're making that as soon as Parents get married once they have children. You're suggesting at that point in time before the children have even grown up that you divide everything equally. And then at least when they're dead and gone, there will be no arguments. I mean, certainly, yeah, there will be, will be no, no arguments. But unless, as I say, in a farming situation, if somebody then the farm has to get sold and divided up and somebody ends up without a home or ends up without a livelihood because the other siblings have decided they want their share. To me, I don't know, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of fairness in that. 1850 thank you, by the way, for your text. And Liz Inkin says, Patricia, I'm just thinking, what do you like to be called? Your name, are you, do you prefer? Patricia, Trish, Trisha, Trish, what is it? Have you a preference, Liz <laughs> And from what can say? I don't really. I think from, I have various people who call me everything from The full term Patricia. I've others call me Trish. I've others call me Trisha. I even in the States have been referred to as Petty. I think the only one that I don't really like and I'm not called is Pat as an abbreviation for Patricia. But when I refer to myself, I'm trying to think when I saw your text coming in, I probably say Trish or Trisha. I'm trying, and when I sign things, I sign it all different ways as well. So as long as you don't, be, don't call me too early in the morning, Liz, you will be fine. And she says to the other Liz who was worried about me calling somebody a bouncing boy, uh, she says, oh, nothing wrong with that. Or even a leaping baby boy. That's a new one on me. Thank you for your text, Liz. In Kinsale, hope the sun is shining on you. And Column says, when we were talking about the price of electricity and how we we're paying some of the highest costs across Europe, Column says, I'm part of a community association Our complex obviously has been uh, shut down for most of last year uh, because of COVID. Yet, we've still had to pay over €600 in the PSO levy just to have our electricity, to have the electricity connected, isn't it? God, that's just galling. That is just galling. And you're not on your own column. Anyone who's got any kind of a complex, any kind of a community hall, everyone is uh, faced with that at a time. I mean, you closed it because of COVID. It wasn't that you wanted to close it, but it's also at a time when you can't do fundraising. So there's going to be a lot of community groups and organisations when we come out the other side of this who financially really are going to struggle. Mary Mitchellstown is wondering about caravan and mobile homes and caravan parks. Have we any news on when they are reopening didn't see it now on any of the lists but when I saw hotels, guest houses and B&Bs opening on the 2nd of June I um, I am would we take it from that that the caravan parks and the mobile homes uh, parks that they'll all tie in with that same date I an educated guest would tell me it'll be the same date as the hotels and if that be the case uh, Mary it will be the 2nd of June and that's another bone of contention for people who have a caravan or a mobile home in a park people have had to pay rent on that and they've paid rent across last year when they got to spend very very little time and I know that's a huge frustration for many people 1850 333103 lines open The C103 Cork Diary
3: With Cork County Council's community support programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the Covid-19 pandemic see CorkCoco.ie
2: And can we remind you of Elaine Hennessy and Carmelo O'Gorman who joined us for an interview earlier in the week who are looking for support in their bid to raise funds for Cork Mental Health Foundation. They're holding a sleep out at the weekend. They're going to watch the sunrise on Saturday the 1st of May and will light candles in memory of those who've been lost to mental health. You can support them by donating online at www.corkmentalhealth.com and the hope is that the money raised will lead to affordable counselling in the Mitchellstown area. St. Vincent de Paul will have a collection van in Dunn Stores Car Park in Bishopstown that's tomorrow they'll be there from 8 in the morning until half past 3 they're looking for donations of bagged clean clothing shoes, curtains soft furnishing and toys all will be accepted but unfortunately no furniture electrical or bulky items will be taken and the RNLI's May Day campaign that begins this Saturday the 1st of May and then it'll run throughout the month of May Lifesavers are calling on supporters to join the May Day mile and cover the distance for the charity in any way you choose to do and at the same time raise some vital funds to help the light boat crews continue their work you can sign up for the May Day Mile or you can simply make a donation in support of the RNLI's Lifesavers by visiting rnli.com forward slash support Mayday.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie.
2: A Canturk teenager has been hailed a hero after his quick actions saved his father's life following a farm accident. Brian Philpot's bravery was described as astonishing by Canturk's firefighters after his father decked got pinned between an agitator and the wheel of their tractor. And I'm delighted to say that Declan, the dad.
8: A lot can happen in three years.
2: Like a chatbot
0: may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts
8: nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
8: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Declan. I'm Patricia. And, fine. F- fine. and firstly, how are you doing?
9: I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You're, um, You're all okay. Stiff and sore. <laughs> 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 stiff
2: and sore. Okay. okay. Uh, well, yes. and that'll pass, thank God. That, that yes. will pass. Yes, that now, will pass. Yes. Now, take yes. me back. What day did this happen? And tell me, tell me what you remember.
9: Um, it happened last Thursday evening, um, like that. There was no panic in the world. We just decided that we'd go one step ahead. I suppose we'd be ahead for the morning. And we went to plan the Agitator on the tractor. And Brian was actually with me. We just said uh, we'd go down around half a stage. And um, I, we went to plan the Agitator. And I normally, I, I put on the PTO first onto the tractor. And... I rose it up from the outside, as you know, there's the switches on the outside of the tractor for you to rise it up on your own. You know, for on your own, you can plan the implement on your own. to the electric uh, switches. Yeah. And I rose up the switch, to you know, to put on the PTO and I, I rose it anyway. And next thing, I just went to plan the PTO and I must have just rose it slightly too high. And next thing, the whole PTO, the whole agitator uh, turned up and tapped me and I was jammed in between the, the, the agitator it was actually on the tractor then, and it was on the agitator, but there was no other part of the agitator on, so it was after tumbling right over in its head, and I was jammed in between the agitator and the, and the wheel of the tractor. So,
2: split second stuff, all happened really second. fast.
9: Yes, 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 yes.
2: Now, you're, yes. you're pinned, you obviously passed out, did you?
9: I was there for a minute and Brian said to me, what will I do? Brian was up on the tractor and he just hopped off and he said, what will I do? And there was, I was talking, but there was nothing coming out of my mouth. You know, I was just under so much pressure. I just felt this awful pressure. And next thing was, I was gone. I see no more. So the next time I woke was my, my son, my brother was standing over me and telling me not to get up. So I don't know, it must have been a couple of minutes whenever in between. So that's the next time I remember anything.
2: And Brian then in the meantime did what?
9: Brian came after me and I must have watched him but he couldn't understand but he decided that he'd pull out the tractor from the agitator because the PTO shaft has, has two pieces it splits in the middle and uh, he decided he'd pull out so when he pulled out of course all the pressure came off of me and I just fell in the ground Then basically alongside the alongside the tractor he just pulled out Yeah, and only for that like there was I I was under there was fierce pressure before I went out like I just felt like that I was going to explode do you know there was so much pressure on my stomach and on my side that I was going to explode
2: that was quick thinking of, of Brian wasn't it yeah
9: yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah So. and did he then call for help
9: he had rang my brother I'd say he had rang my brother while he was thinking what he'd do and um and uh, he just made the decision, then he rang in the fire brigade, he rang the fire brigade off of my phone as well. So he was onto the fire brigade as well, or the ambulance in that much time as well. So yeah, yeah.
2: And they all arrived fairly quickly, did they? They arrived yeah. in about eight minutes or something, yes. yes. But uh, if he, if Brian hadn't done what he did in the eight minutes? Oh, I'd be dead. Well, I'd, yeah. be
9: dead. I'd be dead because I was I was jammed, I, was, I, was, I wasn't able to breathe like I couldn't. I was gone anyway, like I was gone out cold so sure I mightn't wait anymore, you know, like when the pressure was on me so much, like, like it was just this this savage pressure, like I, I thought I was going to explode, you know. Which,
2: and yeah, then so you were taken to hospital obviously.
9: I was, yeah, in fairness, now look, the fire brigade came, look, there was eight fire brigade personnel came from Cantor and the ambulance and the touched me out to see was I okay, and my legs and my hands were moving, so they said that was a good sign. And they um they just um put me into kind of an air mattress thing, and they rolled me on my side, and they put me into a neck brace and all that just for protection so that I'd be safe. So, and, and I went into to the to Cuh. So,
2: and did yeah. you did you did they keep you in?
9: Oh, they did. They, they kept me in. Yeah, so I had MRI scans and CTs and every whole thing and the only thing that they could find around me was I was after fracturing six ribs on one side and three on the other side.
2: Oh. So yeah. it was all on your chest?
9: All on my chest, yeah, my lower, my lower chest kind of down my leg, down my right leg is sore, but it, it's just, this, it's just the pressure will have to be, you know, like it'll have to release all the time itself.
2: Yeah, yes. and, for, and when you break ribs like that, there's not a lot they can do, is there? They? Nothing, no. nothing.
9: Only <laughs> <laughs> take 50, 10 and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't cough or don't sneeze or oh. don't get hiccups. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the other
2: one, and you're laughing now. They say as well, don't laugh. Cause that yes, m- yeah, Yeah. yeah. I, I know yes. I saw a, a, a trick where if if you do need to laugh or cough or anything, if you hold a pillow mm-hmm, really yes, close yes, into your yes. chest, it eases yes. it slightly. You you, you, you yes. Because how is Brian coping with the whole being a hero of it? <laughs> he's actually here with me. If is he? he? Talk, oh, uh, we, thought, we thought he'd Hang be in school. One okay.
9: No, he's actually here. Is he? He's actually here. Let's, you can just have one put, more
2: with him. Put, one second. put him on. No bother. No bother. Hello, Brian. Hello. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I So that no, How are you? I, I'm well. I was just, uh, I thought you were at school. I was just asking your uh, dad, h- how are you coping with this hero title that everybody's giving you?
9: Yes, I don't know. i wasn't too bad.
2: <laughs> you were, you're, you're quick thinking.
9: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: But was there a real yeah. sense of panic when it happened?
9: Yeah, that was, sure to just kind of thinking what you do like and... You know, you want a few seconds to think like, or else he's dead, like,
2: you know. I know, I know. And you're close to your dad, you are? Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, um, you'll get out of a load of work. You won't have to uh, do any more chores after this. For a long uh, time is payback <laughs> time. <laughs> It'll be payback time. And do you do a lot of farming with your dad?
9: Yeah, I do. I I'd I'd does it every day with
2: him. And are you, what, what are you in school or...?
9: I am because today I had to get the, the two HPV vaccines. Or
2: Very good. So you're yeah. off. And what school do you go to?
9: I go to uh, Mill Street Community School.
2: Great school. And are they all aware of what you did last Thursday? i said the very most very them in you, yeah. They are. Well done. Well done. Well, listen, you are a hero in, in our eyes. Uh, well done. Will you put your dad back on and look after yourself? I will take for it. God bless. God bless. Bye That's bye young uh, Brian uh Philpot who is the hero of the moment. Um Declan he's 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 he you, you farm a lot together with him. Oh
9: yes, yes, every day. Yes, yes. I have another son as well and all the son so He's actually after taking time off work to, to manage the farm while I'm of action and I have two daughters as well, so I'm looking at plenty of help and my neighbours and my family are very good. You know, so yeah. look, we're not we're not shafted bodies. Thank God. I good. know it's a, it's a family farm. <laughs> and it
2: is fa- farm? I mean, the fact that you were talking about the PTO shaft and you you know and and everybody knows the importance for the safety with the PTO shaft. Yeah. I mean, farm safety is something. That you obviously you would discuss with Brian and discuss with oh, the with the yes. children
9: and like we you know we we like we do the board b inspections and all that Look, and you must your and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, the p t o guards and and all the implementation and all the p t o s and and you know everything has to be safe like and you know and we we good machinery and you know, I so that look it's not look, it's just something i suppose that happens look, you know it's a split second decision or it's a split second. Thing that happens, look. I, I, you know, I suppose we can't really describe it, look, unless it happens, short, you know. Well, it just but, shows yeah. how
2: easy these acts and their accidents, but yes. well, how easy they can yes. happen, Declan, doesn't yes. It, yes. it? Yes, it is true.
9: And look, and look, it happens. And look, you know, please look, 99% of the people look come out on the other side, you know. So, look, that's the only thing we can take from it that look, most people do come out on the other side, look, and you know, and and that's all we can say but um I was I was one of the lucky ones I was one of the lucky ones I could have had internal bleeding and you know a lot of serious injuries like and I, I, I didn't.
2: Yeah, and you were lucky oh. that Brian was with you? Was there just,
9: was, yeah. yeah, oh, yes, 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 because farming is, is very independent, as you know. Listen, Declan, your <laughs> you ta-
2: your time wasn't up. You're destined for <laughs> great for many great things. <laughs> and come right. here, come here, Brian, you, you Antenia, he, 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 I was saying to him there, he won't be have he'll be off all kinds of chores for a long time. He can. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be payback time. It'll come back to you. Oh, so it will come be. back
9: to haunt me in time. Yes, yes, yes. Listen, really it was a play.
2: It was a pleasure to speak you. with no, you, and I it's I so fantastic know. to have a good news story as no, well. I'm
9: just petitioning just to say one final word, look, a special thanks to the to the ambulance crew that night and to the fire brigade and to all the staff above in the COH and ANE and CDU who looked after me and just never think that they could possibly. And all my neighbours and friends who made phone calls and asked me, you know, was I all right and if there was anything to be done. So look, I mean, when you are in trouble, you will have people looking after you. you know? so. Yeah. I will take that from it so thanks very well much done. Good Well good. done and thanks stay safe much. take care and thanks pleasure. No problem
2: our pleasure bye bye we're a lovely man that is uh, Declan Philpott along with his son Brian and thanks to Brian's quick actions uh, this day last week we're talking to Declan uh, today 1850 333103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp 0862
0: 103103
3: Court Today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's as Kinsale now Part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
0: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
2: We are heading to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, where I'm joined by Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And I love when we get these interesting uh, questions in. And here's a lovely one for you from Sharon, who who was unsure whether she she should be directing this question to you as the vet or to Peter Dowdle as the gardener. So we'll give it to you seeing as it (laughs) came in on your day. She says, could you please ask if lawn gold, which is a fertiliser for lawn, could, would be toxic to pet rabbits. We lost three of them in the last week. We did use the lawn gold on our lawns about two weeks ago, but we kept it away from the hutch where the hutches are. The vets are puzzled as nothing has shown up in a post-mortem. The only common denominator that I can tie down is the fact that we put lawn gold on the grass. I'm literally clutching at straws for answers. Thanking you, says uh, Sharon, and it is awful when you lose a much loved pet, but trying to find out the reason for it.
8: Oh, I know my heart goes out to to the listener. It's really, really tough, not only one animal passing away but but a few they are I know they're part of the family um this is a really challenging one. Um, it really sounds like you've gone quite a way to try and figure out what, what happened with doing a post-mortem. So that's an examination um, of the body. Um, and if nothing has shown up, then that's really, really tricky. As regards the product itself, Lawn Gold, Fertilisers in general sometimes can be toxic, but it sounds like you did a really good job of trying to keep the little rabbits away from that area. Um, what the, I would say is the difficult thing is knowing how long to leave the lawn before putting them back on it. I know certainly, let's say from a farming point of view, grassland management. I know when fertilisers use on grassland, it really depends. Um, they all all the products have very kind of specific timings for when when animals can put be put back on grassland after after fertiliser. But for something like lawn, go or kind of a, a non-commercial fertilizer, I, I'd say those that information probably doesn't really exist. So, I think what you were doing with, let's say, two weeks away from them sounds sensible. But as to say whether it needed longer or less time, I, I wouldn't know. I'm afraid. I think it's always very, very difficult when you have a, a you know a family pass away. We're always you know, trying to find the reason, but please, please don't beat yourself up about it. You, regardless of what the cause was, I'm sure you had the best intentions. I think the really important thing is just to, to, to take care of yourself. It's a really tough time when they yeah, pass away. Yeah. Um,
2: and, and you may never, I mean, I'm, and I'm assuming other people go to great lengths like that, getting post-mortems done, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure as a vet, there's times when you just don't know why an animal has suddenly passed away.
8: Yeah, sometimes it can be really tricky. Sometimes, if it's uh, let's say a pet has a diagnosis and we know that that might be terminal, or they've had an accident and it's associated with that, sometimes the reason can be quite cut and dried. What I'd say is sometimes with pets, you know, what might have caused a disease process could have happened a a while ago, unbeknownst to anybody, including the owner of the animal themselves. And we might be only seeing the after effects on the body. So sometimes we might know, let's say, what went wrong, but we don't know why it went wrong in the first place because that might be historical, and that's really tough for everyone involved. Because I suppose, as, as humans, we we you know we crave closure. We want to know what happened, and and unfortunately, that that's not always possible. However hard we try.
2: Okay. Uh, Kate says, hi, Patricia. Question for Jane. My 15 year old, very nervous Collie needs a dental. But I'm afraid about the anaesthetic as he's had a lot over the years. Would Jane think he's too old? He also has arthritis, which is on medication for advice around a dental in an older dog because of the anaesthetic.
8: I think if a a dental has been recommended by your vet, I I would have to just go with their judgment on it. Um, I know that in older pets, you know, there is always an awful lot of anxiety surrounding general anesthesia and the risks involved. And certainly as we do age, that that risk of, of going under anesthetic does increase. However, what I would say is that even in an older pet, if if a dental procedure has been recommended by your vet, we're doing that kind of weighing up the risk versus benefit ratio. So if your vet has recommended a dental, they'll be aware, you know, there's probably an increased anesthetic risk in an older patient. But what I would say about dental diseases, it really impacts on quality of life. So if you imagine yourself having, uh, you know, sore gums or a constant toothache, you imagine how, how much of a toll that would take on on your day and how, how tiring, how fatiguing it is to have constant pain and to not be able to tell anyone in the case of a dog or a cat. Um, so a lot of the time dental disease is very much brushed off as something that's kind of optional to deal with, but it could be anything but. I cannot think of many more things, particularly in geriatric patients that have such a big, impact on their quality of life as dental disease because every time they open their mouth every time they eat a treat if they've got toothache it hurts
2: Um, and so it's important to deal with it there's nothing worse than a toothache
8: Nothing worse. It's a yeah. it's really annoying pain to have. So I think go with your best judgment. And if, if they suggest that, that that is essential, even regardless of the anesthetic risk, then you know, trust their judgment and discuss your concerns with them. I'm sure they'd be more than happy to elaborate and discuss the risks involved.
2: Okay, and I'm wondering, is this this a dental issue? Rose in Black Rock has been on. She's a seven-year-old cat who the last couple of days just has started dribbling out of the side of his mouth. Uh, A neutered male cat. Uh, What could be going on? Could that be a dental issue? Drooling? Hmm, potentially,
8: yeah, potentially drooling can be, um, pain, discomfort can sometimes cause drooling or even if there's a lot of gum disease, but it could be a number of other things. Um, so it could be a physical problem with the mouth, such as dental disease. It could be something caught in the mouth, um, so a little foreign object or you know, something that will be causing irritation and drooling. Other really common causes of drooling are actually sometimes nothing to do with the mouth. They can be to do with a feeling of nausea or wanting to get sick. So a lot of patients will actually not not vomit. But one of the ways that they show us that they're feeling really nauseous is a lot of drooling. Um, So there could be a few things going on here. I think for this little cat, given that this is a change for them and they're actively drooling, I would advise uh, going visiting your vet for a physical exam in this case, because there's definitely something going on that needs dealing with. So seek the advice of a vet.
2: Yeah. And Mary wants to know, when is a dog considered senior? Have you an age? Uh,
8: It really depends because I suppose as a broad category, let's say seven or eight and over, uh, but that's a broad sweeping generalization. It really depends because let's say a smaller dog, they age at a slower rate than a larger dog. So let's say a Cavalier or a Bichon. Sometimes they can have a lifespan of 14, 15, 16 years um, if they don't run into problems. But let's say a very large breed dog like a Great Dane or a Newfoundland, if they make it to double digits, if they make it to, let's say, 10 years of age, that's extraordinary. Most of them would have a lifespan around, let's say, seven, eight, nine years of age. So you can imagine how, let's say, the point at which they become senior and are kind of advancing in, in years and have all the, the problems that come along with old age in certain senses would be vastly different from, from a small breed dog who might live a very long time to a very large breed dog who has a, an average shorter lifespan. Um, but I suppose as a general rule, for a middle age or for a middle sized dog, kind of average size, maybe seven eight years, Okay.
2: let's say, reaching the advanced age. And Nicole in Carrick uh, her one, her cat this morning, she's just noticed is bleeding out of one ear. What could be causing oh, uh, that? Oh. She so um, can't figure out be, what's uh, going on. She can't see a cut.
8: Okay, if she can't see a cut, it's probably um, it's probably an ear infection or ear irritation. So the most common cause of bleeding in the ear would be either a fighting wound. So cats, when they fight with each other, can tend to aim for the ears, face, neck. Um, so that's always really common. However, if the ear itself is bleeding within the ear, it needs to be seen to. Um,
2: I wouldn't delay really. I'd get it checked in the next day or two. Go to a vet. Okay. All right, listen, we leave it there. Listen, have a lovely week, and we'll chat you next week. You too, thank you. Thanks for that Jane. Uh, Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Just some texts and calls uh, still coming in to us on, uh, on vaccination. Hi Patricia, just wondering how many of our TDs and elected representatives have been vaccinated? I'm assuming that Leo Varadkar, now that he's volunteering as a vaccinator at the Helix in Dublin, I'm assuming he has been vaccinated. I'd be interested to know what vaccine he got. He hasn't been vaccinated. He would have been offered a vaccine Seen as a vaccinator, but he said no. He'll wait his turn. He'll wait until his age. Uh, you know when he gets to the age uh, cohort. So he hasn't been vaccinated, and he also hasn't been paid for his shifts at the Helix vaccinating uh, people. And on other elected TDs and reps, I saw the Taoiseach Mihal Martin because he's sixty years of age. So I think Tuesday registration opened for the sixty-year-olds, and he's registered online, same as everybody else and he's registered online and he will be getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now there will be other TDs and senators over 60 as well and they have all registered the same as there wasn't a certain way for TDs and senators and councillors to get a vaccine. They have to join the queue because there would be uproar if anybody thought that they were getting the vaccines ahead of anyone anyone else. And still getting a lot of talks in about inheritance and about wills following on from our chat with Frank Roach earlier today. Uh, Some of your thoughts coming in on that. Uh, Hi, Patricia. My aunt had three sons. The eldest found the will leaving the farm to the second son. So the eldest walked out. The second son says, I don't want the farm. So the third son ended up getting the farm, who in reality was most suited to it. My four, by the way, won't have anything to argue about because I'm leaving, I'll am have nothing uh, to leave to them. Isn't that shocking that somebody found their mother's will and opened it to have a read of it? That's just beyond... Uh, beyond invasion of uh, privacy. Hi, Patricia. I'm in favour of what you said with regards to wills. It's what the children contribute towards the care of their parents. And that is, as far as I can see, is the fairest way. It makes no sense to me that one carries the can and then the others come in at the last minute and collect everything that surely cannot be right. And John Imallo says, there are a lot of people out there that have done absolutely nothing for their parents while the parents worked hard all of their lives to provide for their children. So why are the children determined then for a financial gain when a parent is ill or passes uh, away? If there's any monies or any farms or land or houses or anything left, it should be left to... The child are the children who look after their parents. Why hand it over to those who did nothing? That's where I leave you. Thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you uh, tomorrow at 10 for the Good afternoon. Stay safe. Court
0: today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG.ie.
5: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years.